This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We'll now take a scriptures reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Here is the word of the Lord, and I will read from 1 to 12, verses 1, starting verses 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your, to your own husband, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be worn over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they, puri- when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward endowment, such uh, as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelries and fine clothes. Rather, it should be of your inner self, the unfailing beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy woman of the past who put in hope, their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submit themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the glorious, of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because of this, you were called so that you, would, you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. Now I hand over the meeting to the pastor. Hey, sorry, just uh, let me get this worked out. Okay. Let's go to God in prayer. And we thank you so much that we can come together, both on Zoom as well as physically here, to listen to God's word. And so let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear fathers, we come before you today. We truly want to thank you for what a privilege it is that you speak to us through your word. Help us to see that you are the Almighty, that you are the Creator, that you are the Sustainer, you're the one who sent Jesus to save us. But yet you, you are so willing to speak to us in this way. We just pray that we may hear you clearly this morning, not be distracted, to give our full attention to your word, not just intellectually in our minds or emotionally in our hearts, but to be transformed in our will. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, today we're going to look at the topic of marriage. Am I too loud? Okay, I'll try to speak softly. Okay, 
What is marriage? And what makes marriage work? And how should we behave in marriage? Now, I think in the past, we tended to follow models of marriage based on our parents. But I think that has become a problem uh, because what has happened today is that uh, many, many uh, marriages now end in divorces. And so actually, when you speak to your friends, and this is something that I noticed when I was at work, that, that actually it's not so much of a norm nowadays that people come from a stable, two-parent family, but more and more that actually people come from dysfunctional families where there is family breakdown and where there is divorce. And so there's confusion. There's no longer this, this modeling that we see to teach us how to have successful marriages. But it's not just the issue of, I guess, our own family of origin. Uh, when I went to Australia recently, um, I was listening to a talk show radio between 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. driving the car, and they were talking about the polyamorous marriages. Now, I consider myself someone who knows English fairly well, and I was very confused because I've never heard of this word before, polyamorous, right? And I was like, I actually had to go and Google it and look it up to see what polyamorous means. And polyamorous marriages basically are these sort of marriages which in the West, where you are married and emotionally you agree to be tied to one another, but physically you are willing to date other people. And so this is something that has, has actually been happening in the West. This has happened a few years ago when I went to Australia to listen, and I was on a talk show radio, and uh, even the, the political party in England uh, has endorsed these sort of relationships. So this is the sort of environment in which uh, many people in the West are exposed to these sort of relationships. So if there is confusion in our family of origins about marriage, there's confusion in society about this topic of marriage, then where should we go to find out about how to live our lives in marriage? Well, we believe as Christians that God has made marriage right, in Genesis chapter 2. So we believe that God is the person to give us the blueprint for marriage, how we should live our lives in marriage. And so God, in a sense, is the one who is the only one capable to give us the instruction manual for marriage because he's the one who's designed marriage. And so today, whether we are married, whether we wish to be married, whether we're planning to be married, we need to listen to what God is saying. Oh, so, sorry, I missed this other illustration. So even today, in many marriages, there's this understanding or the wrong understanding, I suppose, of how marriage is meant to be the self-expressive marriage, where marriage is meant to be for self-discovery, self-esteem, personal growth, personal fulfillment. And so, again, there are many different models of marriage, and every time a new book comes out, any time a new fad comes out, we follow that fad for marriage. But now let's turn to what the Bible actually says about this topic of marriage. Now today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, the first thing we notice here in 1 Peter chapter 3 is it begins with this phrase, wives, in the same way, okay, then it goes on, be submissive to your husbands. Now, this phrase here, in the same way, is a very important linking phrase which links this section here about marriage to the previous section. In the same way, gives us the reason why wives and husbands must behave in certain ways. In the same way, ties this section together with what came before it. 
And so how does in the same way link this section back to the previous two chapters? Well, in the previous chapters, it told us that actually, as Christians, we have a new identity. So earlier on in chapter 2, it talked about how we are the spiritual house, where we're the raw priesthood, we are the people of God. And at the end of last week, if you remember, it went on to say about how we are now people who have been saved because Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for us. Remember last week? He went and died on the tree so that we may be healed, we may be saved. And last week, it ended up by saying, therefore, because of our new identity as saved people, die to sins and live for righteousness. So in the same way, how we live as wives, how we live as husbands, is an expression of this transformed behavior as our new identity, people who are saved in Christ. But if you remember last week as well, it was telling us how our transformed behavior actually leads to non-believers glorifying God. And that, again, is another reason why we need to change or transform our behavior. So that's the background, the context of in the same way. So the passage then goes on, and it shows us in so many ways how in the same way we are to live in this way. So if you look over, the very first thing that is said here is that so that they... Oops, I'm going to click this thing. Sorry. Huh? So that they may be won over, right? If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over by the behavior of their wives. So right from the first verse, we see that one of the motivations why wives are to live transformed lives in marriage is so that if they have non-believing husbands, they may be won over by the transformed behavior of their wives. The passage then goes on to tell us that it is because of identity, our identity, uh, that the wives need to live in a certain way. Because it says there, for this behavior is in great worth in, the, in God's sight. In this way, inner beauty is what makes them beautiful, not in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes. And it also tells them that you must do what is right, which ties in last week where it says, do, die to sins and do righteousness, do right. So you can see that this whole section here is actually linked back to the beginning. And this is very important for us to know because the way that Christian wives behave in marriage is not based on culture or the latest fads or the latest books, but because of God's identity given to us and because we are meant to be a witness to the world and especially non-believing husbands. So the first thing we want to pay attention to is this very controversial word, which is the word here which says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. When I first got, oh no, can I be one first got married? Because when I only got married once, right? When I got married, um, it was a beautiful wedding. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a nice sunny day in Australia. We went to this very, very old church, very faithful sermon given by uh, this very faithful pastor. And after the sermon, after the whole beautiful ceremony, my, my wife's aunt came to speak to us and she said to us, 
Congratulations on your, on your marriage. Congratulations on your wedding. You know, I'm so happy for you. But I just want to tell you that I will never ever submit to my husband. So you can see how this whole idea of submission is a very hot button issue, right? For many people in the world that we live in today, this whole idea of submission is vulgar and offensive, just like it was to my aunt. So the first thing we really need to clarify is what submission isn't. Okay, submission is not a justification or a condoning or endorsing of domestic abuse or domestic violence or spousal abuse. It is not a, the idea of oppression against women or exploitation against women or discrimination against women where the husband thumbs down the wife and squashes her. Right? If you are a victim of domestic violence or abuse, then please speak to your Bible study leader or speak to your pastors. But definitely this passage is not about that. Instead, the idea of submission here really is a positive picture of submission. So I like what uh, John Piper actually described this idea of submission. And he described it in this way. He said submission is the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. It is an attitude that says, I delight for you to take initiative in our family. I'm glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love. I don't flourish when you are passive and I have to make sure the family works. And I think this is a very good definition because this is a positive idea of submission where the wife encourages the husband to lead the family. The wife supports the husband in taking the initiative to take responsibility for the family. The wife builds him up to be responsible for the family. Now, in its original context, what, uh, uh, what the Bible was actually saying here was very, very counter-cultural. Because if you see here, and this is written in 140 uh, AD, uh, the, in the Roman society, the expectation was when the wife married the husband, she would adopt the husband's gods. She would submit to the husband's uh, family religious rituals. And so what the Bible was actually saying here was that the wife should not accept or adopt or submit to the husband's gods. Uh, the wife shouldn't adopt the family's gods. But this did not mean that the wife should then wholesale rebel against the husband's leadership in the family. So the Bible goes on to say, even though you do not submit to adopt the gods of your father, your, 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 your husband and his families, but at the same time, you are to submit to your husband in a positive, loving way as he leads the family in all the other aspects of family life. Now, the sad thing is that actually when, we, when I hear from uh, from couples in today's world, uh, there are many, many Christian wives who fail to submit to the husband, respect the husband, and to encourage him to take leadership in the family. Uh, instead, they, they undermine the husband, uh, they undercut the husband, they tear him down and hamstring him. 
And so Chinese New Year is just coming around the corner and uh, in some ways I'm, I'm thankful I don't have Chinese New Year gatherings because some of the Chinese New Year gatherings that I've been to, uh, I see some wives who in a public gathering will ridicule their husbands. They will put him down and make jokes at his expense. They will compare the husband unfavorably to other people. And it makes for a very sad occasion and a very sad marriage. And sadly, sometimes these relatives are actually Christians and they go to church. But what Peter is saying is that you will not win over, right, what it says there, you will not win over your husband if you do not submit and respect and encourage him to take leadership in this way. See, the temptation for Christian wives with non-Christian husbands is to try to win the argument, right? try to prove that you are right, try to nag the husband into becoming a Christian sometimes. But you can win the argument but lose the relationship. And so, again, I know of a couple who got divorced. And one of the things that I heard back from the family was that um, the wife, even though she was a Christian and the husband was not, she was very domineering and very aggressive and very confrontational, very oppositional. And sometimes these occasions led to arguments, even with regards to religion. And these frequent and strong arguments, instead of leading the husband to becoming won over for Christ, actually led to them getting divorced. And so the Bible says here for wives to win over the husbands with their submissive attitude. And what it also goes on to say is that this is linked to their purity and reverence. Right? They will win over their husbands when they see the purity and reverence of their lives. Now, these two words, purity and reverence, we've actually come across before. The word purity we've, we've seen in one chapter, chapter 1, verse 22, and the word reverence we've seen in chapter 1, verse 17. And these are things that actually all Christians are meant to exhibit in their lives. But particularly in wives, it's saying that their transformed life in marriage comes about because of purity and reverence to God. I'm pure in the sense of being sanctified and set apart and holy for God. I'm reverent in the sense that I respect and fear God. And so I submit to my husband not because he is a good man or even if he is a good husband, but I submit to God because it is holiness to God and it is reverence to God. Now, the passage then goes on to go on to say that um, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful, they were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him a master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So in the ancient world, women paid attention to what they wore because what you wore 
represented who you were, what status you were in society, uh, the position you had in society. And in a sense, it's no different from today. And today, we have the cosmetic industry, we have the jewelry industry, we have the fashion industry, we have the cosmetic surgery industry. And all of these things are, in a sense, expressions of who we are. But God is saying that actually what really counts for Christian women is what's on the inside. He's not saying that you cannot wear jewelry or have you know, good clothes, but he's saying that the real expression of who you are is in the internals, and that's what God looks for. Because if you want to win your non-believing husband over, then it is not worn, he's not worn over by the things you wear externally, but by your inner transformation and your inner behavior. And so if you want to win your non-believing husband over to a holy God, then you don't win him over by wearing clothes, you win him over by your holy behavior. If you want to win your husband over to a God-fearing God, then you need to show reverence and fear of God in your own life. The passage also goes on to speak about uh, this idea of gentleness and quiet spirit. And this unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, I think ties in with the submissive attitude that the Bible talks about earlier on in chapter 3, verse 1. And being gentle and quiet is the opposite of belligerent, of argumentative, of hostile and confrontational. So in my Bible study group, they were discussing, according to my wife, how often wives can be belligerent and, and hostile and confrontational and times where really a gentle and quiet spirit are called for. And apparently this happens most when husbands are driving and uh, getting lost, right, or taking the longer route. And, and they were saying, you know, maybe it's, it's better just to have the quiet and gentle spirit uh, and have a longer journey uh, and a lousier driver than to you know, to, to have these confrontations and arguments uh, which actually don't win over the non-believing husband. The passage then ends by saying that you must do what is right and do not give way to fear. And I think this is very important for us at this moment. What is this fear? Why fear? Why, why must they do right and not give way to fear? How does fear stop the doing of the right? I think in its original context, again, it was the fear of perhaps the, fa the husband leaving the family or the fear of the family rejecting the wife, the fear of society and how they would react to the wife becoming a Christian. In today's context, it can be the same, right? We, we fear society's view of a quiet and gentle spirit, of a submissive spirit. Because this is not things which are popular in the world today. So we fear what the world may think. I was listening to a sermon recently which said that actually the big idea of 1 Peter is the idea of holding fast the Christian identity because of the challenge of adversity and anxiety. The two A's, adversity and anxiety. And even within marriage, to live a Christian life can lead to adversity and anxiety. Right? You may live in a Christian way 
you may fear God, you may do what is right, but there is still adversity and anxiety if your husband is not a good husband or your husband is not a Christian and there is adversity and anxiety from your husband, your husband's family, from society itself. But the Bible says there that we must do this not because of culture or advice or happiness, but because this is who we are. Because we do right. We are saved by Jesus. We are transformed in Christ. And so we must have your wife live in this way of submissive attitude to your husband, to encourage him to lead, to have a quiet and gentle spirit in purity and reverence. The passage then goes on to then speak to the husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Again, we see this phrase, which we saw with the wives, in the same way, right? In the same way. And again, it brings us back, oops, sorry, wrong one. In the same way, brings us back to this idea of the husband living a transformed life because of their new identity and also to give witness to the world, including an unbelieving wife. And the first thing that is told to the husband is to be considerate as you live with your wife. And this word here, to be considerate, is a very, very important word. If you look at the ESV translation, it actually translates it as be understanding or be knowledgeable. The word really is to be knowledgeable, to be considerate, to be understanding to your wife. That means that you as the husband have a responsibility to understand your wife's needs, to be knowledgeable of her needs, to know of her needs, but not just know of her needs, but to meet these needs, her physical needs, her emotional needs, and her spiritual needs. Now, that means that for a husband, it means that if the wife needs for you to sit down and talk to her for an hour after you come home from work, then that's part of being considerate to her needs. Right? If, if uh, your wife needs for you to read the Bible or pray with her, that's part of you understanding and meeting her needs. I remember listening to a pastor before talking about how uh, in Australia they minister to these very poor families. And the pastor said one of the most remarkable things that can happen is when the husband becomes converted as a Christian. And he says, you know, he has seen great miracles almost where the husband becomes a Christian, he gives up gambling, he gives up smoking, he gives up taking drugs, he gives up boozing, he starts looking after the needs of the wife, he starts looking after the kids, he starts saving, he starts working harder, he starts paying the rent, they move to a bigger house, and soon they are no longer poor anymore. And it all begins because the husband is no longer selfish and just looking after and understanding his own needs, but he is understanding and knowledgeable first and foremost of the needs of the wife and meets her needs. And this is what is needed for us as Christian husbands. We need to understand our wife's needs and know our wife's needs and meet those needs. But often, as Christian husbands, 
we fail to meet those needs or understand or are considerate to those needs. Instead, we are selfish. We look after our own needs, right? our own sporting needs, our own computer gaming needs, our own socializing needs, or even our own career needs. But the Bible says that if we are a Christian, if we are a Christian and we have this identity, in the same way we must be transformed in the way that we live as husbands. The passage then goes on to say that the husband needs to respect the wife as the weaker partner. Now, when it talks about respect, the word here literally means to honor or to value or to esteem the wife. But how do you value and honor and esteem the wife as the weaker partner? Well, in the Roman world, uh, what did they esteem and honor and value? It was physical strength. And so usually, the men are stronger than women. Right? Men are stronger than women, I think, generally, in terms of physical prowess. And in that ancient world, physical prowess was honored and esteemed and valued. Right? I mean, th- these were martial societies, right? They, they went to war often, okay? Rome was built on warfare. And so physical strength is what was valued and honored. But here we see that actually the Bible is countercultural because it tells the husband to esteem and respect and value and honor the wife even as the weaker physical partner. Um, Aristotle uh, lived around the same time as uh, about 100 years before uh, the book of 1 Peter was written. And he reflects very much the ancient world's view of women. Right? So the view of women was that the husband must rule over the wife like, like a politician or like the emperor over the citizens. And the women were seen to be weaker and light, like, you know, in many, many ways to, to men. And they were, not, they were not honored or esteemed in that same way. But the Bible actually says that as Christians, we must value and esteem and honor our wives. It goes on to say, actually, because they are heirs with us, having the same equality in terms of our salvation. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment as a husband. Over the past week, how have you honored your wife this week? Or how have you esteemed your wife this week in your words? Or have you said anything to your wife to show you that you honor her or value her or esteem her? In your actions, have you shown her that she is valuable to you? And in public, before your friends and relatives, do you show that she is someone that is respected in this and, and someone that you, you really value in your marriage? Because these two things the two verbs here, the two very important verbs, to, res- to be considerate to your wife and to respect your wife are non-negotiables in a husband's attitude in marriage. Because right at the very end of this section, it says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, 
this is not like Peter making some superstitious curse on you, right? Oh, you know, if you don't respect your wife and you don't uh, honor your wife, bad things happen to you, right? But it's actually something which is a reflection of the Christian husband's relationship with God. See, if God doesn't listen to your prayers, what does that mean? It means that the relationship is broken. I remember some, someone was talking to me a few years ago and they had a big argument with their girlfriend and then he was telling me, oh, you know, whenever I try to contact my girlfriend, she doesn't pick up the phone anymore. And I said, well, then you're really in big trouble, right? Because if someone doesn't want to talk to you anymore, then it shows that the relationship is gone, it's broken, right? And so if God doesn't want to hear your prayers anymore, it's a very, very serious thing. So your treatment of your wife as a husband, the way you treat your wife, actually directly affects your relationship with God. And so therefore, as a husband, you must always be considerate to the needs of your wife and to respect her as the weaker partner. So, I'm not going to go on to the next part because obviously we've got enough said already in this part. But our transformed lives as Christians must really shape the way we live as husbands and wives. So in conclusion, I went to see the optometrist last week and she used to work in a hospital. So we were just talking and she was examining my eyes and she was telling me how actually when she was working in a hospital, there were these people who would come in and their eyesight would be like, declining week by week. Like, it's almost like they need a new pair of glasses every week. It was almost like they were going blind. And so I was saying, like, what's wrong with these people? And she said, well, actually, they're under great, severe emotional stress. And I said, what sort of stress can cause you to go blind? She says, well, it's not as if you, you know, it's not the sort of stress where you sit for an exam or something like that. But the stress that they face is of very bad marriages and going through divorce. It stresses them out so much that it affects their, 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 visual, their visual, don't know what happens right inside there. And so it's really shocking to me that a bad marriage actually affects your eyes. Right? But here we see marriage the way God intended it. That wives, okay, so I'll move on. Wait, let me think. Okay, so that wives are, to, are meant to be submissive to their husbands, to encourage him in leadership to affirm him leading the family. And husbands, in a very complimentary way, are to look after their wives, to be considerate to their needs and to meet those needs and to honor and respect back and esteem the wife. Now, if you're a husband, you shouldn't be taking today's passage and saying to your wife, see, see, you're not acting like this. Right? And if you're the wife, you shouldn't be going to the husband and say, see, see, you're not acting like this. Because... This passage is, is addressing you as the wife and addressing you as the husband. You must, you must first definitely address this to yourself. And for those of you who are single but want to get married or are thinking of getting married, then you must ask yourself as well, am I the sort of person who will exhibit these qualities when I get married? Or if I'm looking for a marriage partner, am I looking for the right sort of person? Because the world says... Look for that sexy, attractive girl, right? But is this sexy, attractive girl the one who is going to be pure and reverent and, and, and be submissive and encouraging me and, and helping me and building me up in my leadership, who is gentle and quiet? 
Or if I'm a, one of the ladies, you know, am I looking for a rich and successful man like the world is telling me to? Or am I looking for a husband who takes his walk in Christ seriously so that he will be considerate and understand and meet my needs and honor and esteem me? Or as a church, right, do we encourage one another in our marriages to behave in this way? Because really, at the end of the day, the culture that we live in will shape the way we live as well. So I remember how as, uh, as we were doing ministry in Batam, in the HOS, if you remember a few years ago, the, the husband and wife that were running the HOS uh, went to Perth for a mission trip. And, and after they went for the mission trip, they, they had a chat with me. And they were telling me that in Perth, some of the churches, Chinese Australian churches that they went to, the pastor was complaining to them, or not complaining to them, but uh, sharing with them how they had a marriage crisis and a divorce problem of these overseas families who were coming to live in Perth. And apparently these overseas couples and families would go to Perth and the husbands and wives would be shaped by the liberal attitudes of Perth, where the husband would spend all his time playing golf or doing all sorts of things for his own selfish uh, purposes. And then the wife would be influenced by all her friends at the gym saying that, oh, you know, don't worry about your husband. Just do what you want to do. And being sexy and flaunting your sexuality was the way to affirm yourself. But at the end of the day, you could see that actually these people were not living out their transformed lives as Christians, but they, rather they were being conformed to the culture around them. And so for ourselves as a church, uh, we need not to conform ourselves to the culture of today, right? to the polyamorous ideas or the self-expressive marriages of today, but rather we need to conform ourselves to our identity as saved people in Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you that indeed you are the God who has given us marriage and dear Father, we pray that because you're the one who has made marriage, that we will follow your blueprint of marriage. That because we fear you, because we know you, because we are part of the community of believers, because we are saved in Christ, help us to be the wives and the husbands that we should be. For wives, that uh, they will be submissive and encouraging and supportive of the husband's leadership. And that for husbands, that they will be understanding, that they will be considerate, and they would meet the needs of the wife, and that they would respect and honor and esteem the wife. Dear Father, we pray that in this way, if there are non-believing husbands and wives in our marriages, that they would be won over to Christ, and that they would be co-heirs to eternal life. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.